Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Thank you. I just hope you're clapping at the end, not the beginning only. So thank you. Uh, Church, it is... uh, Tim, I'll pay you later for what you said, okay? Thank you. But it is, it's a privilege to be up here. I am so excited just to share what God's put on my heart. But I just want to say this first is thank you, thank you, thank you so much for welcoming me and my wife, my beautiful wife, my two children, so many of our friends. The family that we have here, I think a lot of you might take for granted if you've been here a while. It's beautiful. If you're new here, if you're a guest here, I want you to know that if you want to be a part of this family, it's incredible. But to you that have welcomed me, have brought us meals when we almost pretty much died over Christmas. <laughs> My children, infant sick is no fun. But for all of you that have supported us in physical ways, tangible ways, prayer and relationship, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So I would applaud for you, but let's get to the word of God, huh? Can we do that? Can we do that this morning? Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47, if you would. Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47. We're going to be dancing around the book of Ezekiel. I know it's probably all your favorite book. You know exactly where it is. We're going to get into a little bit of the book of John. So if you want to put a finger there, we'll be there eventually. All those verses will be on the screen. But we're, we're, gonna, we're in this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, as Tim said. And, and I really sense the Lord wanting to do a new work in us in these 21 days. Uh, I know a lot of you have started this journey. We're one week in, so you've made it a week. Congratulations. You can keep doing it. I do want you to know that for us, this is a little new for Mackenzie, Hezekiah, and Everly. Those are my, that's my son and my daughter. But I want you to know that sometimes the youth lead the old, right? So my daughter has really taken the forefront. She's six months old, for those that don't know me. She has taken the forefront of learning what it means to and teaching us to abstain or fast from something. She's taking it very, very seriously. And do you want to know what she's abstaining from? Sleep. Specifically nighttime sleep. Daytime sleep is fine, April. It's fine. But nighttime sleep, and I loved what Tim and Emily, if you didn't watch the last two messages, Tim, uh, Tim and Emily were speaking the last two weeks and just laying the foundation for this. But Emily said that you got to replace it with something. So in the place of sleep, she has taken shouts of praise, <laughs> loud shouts of praise. So you can pray for us if you want. I'm serious about that. I'm not joking. But um, we're in deeper, like Tim said. We're in Ezekiel 47. I want to give you a little bit of background of what Tim and Emily talked about last week. You'll see on the screen, there's a slide here. We're talking about this river that is flowing from the presence of God from this temple. Uh, it's flowing and it gets wider and wider. As you can see, it starts in the temple and it gets wider and wider. And I just want you to know that I believe God wants to take this river and flow it out of your heart today. I believe that wherever you are today, he wants to take you and use you in a mighty way. He wants to restore hope and restore confidence in him. So let's pray. Father, we are just, um, we are so grateful uh, to be able to just hear from you today. Would you speak and move in a mighty way, God? Would you, would you put a good word in our heart? Would you get our hearts ready to receive it and put it into practice, God? Would we not leave here the same, but would we leave more like you in Jesus' name, amen. So, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 2, this is what it says. It says, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. I want you to just underline that word in your Bible, trickling. Trickling. Some of us might feel like 
our lives are just trickling along today. Some of us might feel like we don't have a capability to have a flowing river through our lives because we can't even sense where the water is coming from. But I, I want you to know today that I believe that, that it can. You know, in the midst of, in the midst of January, in the midst of a lot of New Year's resolutions, in the midst of, uh, you know, no sun being out, although today's a great day, we're blessed today. There's a lot of depression, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of spiritual warfare. You could just sense a heaviness, honestly, this morning as our leadership gathered this morning, that there was a heaviness, that there were things going on in all our lives. We had emergency room trips, we've had people that have to lay off people at work as, as bosses. We'd have people whose family members have been given diagnoses. We have people who are struggling with anxiety, and there's just this heaviness. So what I want to I instill in you today is that there's, there's a place that we can look that can overcome that. So I don't know where you're at this morning, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a job, whether it's, uh, it's a family member, but I believe that God has some hope for you this morning. So I want to introduce you to my friend Ezekiel, my friend. Now, you might not know who the prophet Ezekiel is. That's okay. I, not a lot of people just go, hey, I just want to read Ezekiel today. Okay, but this past week I, I read through the entire book one more time, and I, I was just marveling at this man and, and, and the journey that he went on, and, and I, I, I want you to get to know him a little bit. So I'm going to go through, before we get into the context and, and dive deeper into Ezekiel 47, John chapter 4, we're going to go through what I call painful background, okay? Who is excited for painful background? Okay, I'm warning you right now, it is painful. Kelly's excited, that's why she's our children's director, because she can get excited about anything, okay? But it's going to be painful. Young adults, this painful background will help you get a girlfriend, okay? It will, I promise, okay? It will. So pay attention. Don't fall asleep back there. So Ezekiel writes this book, What's Happening in the World? We need to understand what's happening in the world. I want you to take a look at this. Um, what's happened in the world is that the nation of Israel has gone astray. They've followed after idols. They've disobeyed over and over again. God's given them so many chances, but they've, they've fallen astray, right? You can see the little bit of the history here. 957 B.C., God's presence fills the temple. They build this temple. This is King David's son, Solomon. He's the wisest man ever. Israel's flourishing. Then all of a sudden, worshiping idols and pridefulness get in. They divide the kingdom into two, a northern and a southern kingdom. I don't, do we, I don't know if we feel like there might be two political parties that were divided amongst today. I don't know if that applies to us today, but it applied to them back then. I know it doesn't apply to us today. But then in 721, after all these kings, all these different movements, all these new kings that came and said, I've got a new plan, a new way to restore us, it all failed. And guess what? They kept worshiping idols and they fall. The, the northern kingdom of Israel falls. These are the ten tribes and the Assyrians come in. They conquer them and they exile them away. And you would think that the southern kingdom, Judah, would learn their lesson and go, we better not let that happen to us. But, I mean, I don't think they did. So... What happens in 597 B.C., Jerusalem gets captured by the Babylonians. That's the southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes that are remaining. And then uh, in, in 592 B.C., five years after they are first exiled to Babylon, Ezekiel gets this vision. He gets this vision. This is not Ezekiel 47 vision. This is Ezekiel chapter 1 vision. And, and where Ezekiel is in this first vision that he gets is he is 30 years old. We know it's his 30th birthday, the day that, in, that Ezekiel chapter 1 is written, that God gives this to him. He's 30 years old. He was meant to be a priest. So he grew up going to 
high school and college and everything as his young adult years to be a priest. This was his entire life mission was to be a priest. He put hundreds of hours, years into this. And five years before he was meant to be commissioned, all priests were commissioned at age 30, he was taken away from the temple. He was taken away from God's presence. He was taken away from the land of Jerusalem. Can you imagine working your whole life for something for 25 years and it not coming to fruition? Anyone out there can relate to that? Can you imagine wanting something so bad and you cannot have it? So he's been sitting in captivity. Just think about where Ezekiel is. He's sitting in captivity for five years wondering, God, what do you have for me? What am I supposed to do with my life? I was supposed to be a priest. I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to get this job. I was supposed to graduate from college. I was supposed to, you know, have a wife, two kids, one in a, you know, a white picket fence and a, and a golden retriever right by now. What am I doing? I was supposed to make an impact. And he's sitting there by himself on a canal, overlooking this little canal, and God shows up. He shows up. And he gives a word to Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel, you are going to be my prophet. You are going to be used by me in a powerful way. And some of you might go, that's really exciting. I mean, I'd love God to show up and tell me I'm going to be used. But you have to remember that prophets generally in the Old Testament, they didn't really live long. They didn't really make it. And God asked them to do some crazy things. So he's, he's a smart guy. He's a priest. Remember, he studied the Jewish scriptures. He understands that most of them, most of the kings tried to kill them. They didn't make it. And so... He's commissioned, and God says some pretty unique things to him. He goes, he, God takes Ezekiel on this crazy journey in the first 11 chapters of Ezekiel. It's, it's radical. You should read it. But God challenges him and commands him to do some incredible things, crazy things, things that no one would do. This morning, do you think God might be asking you to do some incredible, crazy things? Ezekiel, you look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. This is right as he's getting this first commission, and he says, son of man, he's speaking to Ezekiel, says, eat what you find, eat this scroll. So God literally commands Ezekiel to eat a scroll. You guys ever been inspired to eat God's word physically? I mean, this is real. I'm, this is not, I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible, okay? And, and not only does he, does he start to give him these weird things to do, but he, he tells him, hey, I'm going to commission you to go do this. If you don't do it, the sin of these people and their fate is on your head, so you better go listen. But then he says this in verse 7. He says, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 7, he says, but the house of Israel will not listen to you. So 30-year-old, supposed to be priest Ezekiel, five years in captivity, taken away from everything you've ever known that you've ever worked for. Guess what? I'm going to commission you to be a prophet, which means you might die. I, I want you to eat a scroll. And oh, by the way, everything that you're about to do, no one's going to listen to you. Who wants to be a prophet? Who wants to serve God? So it gets better, by the way. It gets better. So you jump to verse uh, 26 in chapter 3, and God's about to tell him that you're going to be muted and not be able to talk for seven years. He says, and I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you will be mute and able to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. So you get to bring all the bad news to them. Tell them how sinful they are. Everyone loves that. And then, oh, by the way, you can't talk to anyone. Now, Ezekiel's wife was probably stoked, okay? <laughs> like, just, this is great. <laughs> My house is going to be so peaceful. He got a job, and he can't talk. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Maybe God will mute me. But, I mean, just think about this. This is, this is what Ezekiel's getting at Anna's birthday. Happy birthday. 
And then it, get, it gets better. He says in the next five or six chapters, hey, Ezekiel, I want you to make a diorama. Uh, you, know, you guys remember in like first, second, third grade where my you know, young at heart people at where you make a diorama of like this wildlife thing. Well, Ezekiel's supposed to make a diorama of Jerusalem. Then he's going to lay on his side for 430 days, lay on his side in a public place for 430 days. That's, I'm, this is literal things that are in the Bible. These aren't stories. These are factual history that he lays on his side for 430 days. He is meant to cook his food on dung, on, on feces, because that's how the nation of Israel are going to start fires when the siege of Jerusalem happens. And then he is, he is meant to measure all his food and water. He gets to drink less than, he gets to eat less than eight ounces of beans a day, and he gets to drink less than 20 ounces of water for 430 days. You guys are like, I don't even want to follow Jesus now, huh? That's what he gets to do, and then he chops off his hair. He chops off his hair. That's what following after God for Ezekiel was like. And then he, gets, he sees this vision of God's presence literally leaving the nation of Israel, leaving the temple. And I just can't imagine in this moment what he must be feeling. Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe God's called you to some crazy things, things that don't make sense, things that aren't working. Maybe that's how you feel. But I love this about our God. Is he, in the midst of pain, he always brings hope. Verse uh, chapter 11, you turn there to Ezekiel chapter 11. He's just gotten done with pronouncing all this judgment on Israel and being told that his life's going to be crazy for the next 20 years. And, and God says this, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of, of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I think he needed to hear that at the end of what he was just told. I think he did. But God doesn't just magically fix it right there. It's his timing, not ours, right? So another seven years goes by. He's not talking to anyone but God and the people delivering judgment. He gets to deliver judgment for another 12 chapters. So chapters 12 through 24 is just really positive stuff. If you're down, you could go read Ezekiel 12 through 24. It'll, get, it'll lift you up. But then something pretty crazy happens. In Ezekiel 24, his wife passes away in the span of like less than 12 hours. God tells him your wife's going to pass away, and his wife passes away. He loses a family member. Then for another seven chapters, he gets to deliver more judgment, more good things. Can you imagine what this man was going through? Can you imagine what he must be thinking? Seven years of this, not, not, not a day. I mean, I get impatient after like seven hours of God not moving, right? But seven years. That's on top of the five years he was in exile. So 12 years he has been in this utter awful place. But God's still working. But God's still working. But I do want to deliver this truth to you that is if you follow Jesus... He will call you to radical faith. Hear that. Look at Ezekiel's life. If you are willing to follow Jesus, he will call you to radical faith. It's not if, it's when. I love what David Platt says about, about this. Um, he says, radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort. It's not health. It's not wealth. It's not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all things. But in the end, such risks find its great reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. Do you believe that this morning? 
So what happens to this guy? We haven't even gotten to, we're not even close to Ezekiel 47 yet. Well, 586 BC, Ezekiel chapter 33, a messenger comes and tells him that the place that he wanted to serve his whole life, the place where he wanted to meet God every day as a priest, it has fallen and been destroyed. And it's been taken over by pagans and defamed. Good news is he gets unmuted that day, because that's what God told him, that when the temple falls, you'll get unmuted. So it's a little bit of good news, bad news. And then, though, Ezekiel gets a second vision. He gets a second vision here in 572 B.C. This is 25 years after his exile. This is 20 years after his first vision. This is 14 years after the temple gets destroyed in Ezekiel chapter 33. He finally hears from God one more time. Let's see what it says. Let's see what happens. In chapters 40 to 46, Ezekiel sees a vision of a new temple. God restoring what was taken down. Ezekiel 43, he sees God's presence return to that temple. The presence of God comes back amidst the people that were fallen and sinful to restore them. And then Ezekiel 47, he he sees this river of life that Tim and Emily talked about the last couple weeks. It's this beautiful river of God's presence flowing out from the altar. And, And you know now, right, that all the nation of Israel is going to turn back. They're all going to just, it's going to be revival. It's going to break out. They're gonna, the Babylonians are going to go away. The Assyrians are going to go away. They're going to restore the land, right? Because that's how we want it to work. But here's what we know from extra biblical sources. Ezekiel never sees that. He never sees any of the things he talked about and worked for and strived for and put so much effort into come to fruition. We actually know that he is martyred. Most scholars believe he is martyred by the very people that he was trying to save. His own Jewish people killed him around 570 B.C. You see, he never saw the people come back to land in 515 B.C. He never saw uh, all these different capturings and rebuildings and improvement of the temple that went on through 70 A.D. And he never saw the destruction of the temple by the Romans in the Battle of Jerusalem. And he doesn't know that they're still trying to rebuild the temple right now today in Jerusalem. They're still trying. You see, for them, for Ezekiel, God's presence was everything. The temple was everything. The building was everything. And it's still trying to be rebuilt. And he never got to see it. I want you to hear this this morning. Radical obedience and radical faith does not equal radical results. Okay? Okay? Radical obedience and radical faith will not equal radical results. I will say this, our type of results. They will equal God's results. But our type of results, our human, our human picture of results, it doesn't always equate that way. There's not a specific equation that if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, that will happen. That's not how it works. That's not what God's calling you to. See, he doesn't say to you when you get to go meet him one day, he doesn't say, well, well done, good and, good and fruitful servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you keep serving God in the midst of no results in your mind? Can you keep serving God in the midst of pain and challenges and hardship and in a struggling marriage and a challenging job and in a midlife crisis in the midst of family hardship? Can you keep serving God like Ezekiel? You see, Ezekiel knew one thing that it is our job to till the soil, to prepare the soil, to fertilize the soil, to water the soil. But the miracle of 
the result, the miracle of the crop is not our, is not our doing. The miracle is all God's doing. So, you might ask yourself, was Ezekiel's life meaningless? What, what did it produce? The crazy things that he did, what, what, what did it produce? Well, I want to show you a little bit of a miracle that I think is so incredible about God's word. He's, he's just a master storyteller, and only he could come up with this. But let's take a look at that miracle. You see, Ezekiel's chapter 40 to 48, there's two interpretations that you could kind of take about what it means. You could take a literal interpretation, right? A literal interpretation, which means that it's the measurements of the temple are exactly how it's meant to be. It's going to be built back in Jerusalem, and this is exactly what it's going to be. I'm not going to argue from that perspective this morning. A couple reasons. Number one, the, the, the blueprints of the temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48. This is really painful background, by the way, high schoolers. This will help you get married. Um, the, 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 the blueprints of the temple when they are described in Revelation chapter 20, 21, 22, are so much bigger than Ezekiel. See, Ezekiel just got a glimmer. When John, when the apostle John comes and gets the, the vision in, in Revelation chapter 21, 22, the, the temple's massively bigger than this. And this was the big one in his vision, but it's bigger. And, and secondly, that Jerusalem is never named in Ezekiel 40 to 48. He never says that God's presence will come back to a city. He says God's presence will come back. So, with that in mind, I want to read you Ezekiel 48, 35. Turn to Ezekiel 48. Relevance is coming. Young adults, re relevance is coming. It says this. This is the last verse of Ezekiel. This is his last words to the people. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Come on, right? You see, the presence of God was not meant to dwell in a building. The presence of God, while the temple was great, while the Ark of the Covenant was great, while God meeting with Moses on, on a mountain was great, while God showing up to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12 was great, while all those things were great. You see, God's presence was not meant to be contained. It was meant to live in our very hearts. And what, what Ezekiel here is saying is that it's not going to be in a building. It's going to be everywhere. Little did Ezekiel know when he was laying on his side for 430 days, when he was eating scrolls when he was cooking food in not so great circumstances little did he know that 600 years after he did that there'd be a little baby boy born to a nothing family in a nothing town in the most awful of circumstances and that little baby boy would complete the work that he set forth john chapter 1 verse 14 we're going to get into John now, New Testament. You guys know where that one is, right? John chapter 1. This is how John starts. I love this. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Underline dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the very vision that Ezekiel got, the very presence of the temple, it did not come in the form of a building, it came in the form of a man, and his name is Jesus. 
and he dwelt among us. That was what the temple was meant to do, was to allow God to dwell in the center of the the capital city of Israel, of Judah. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was for. That was what the tabernacle was for, so that God could be in the midst of his people. But what what Ezekiel didn't know is that how he was going to have his prophecies fulfilled was that a baby boy would come and become a man, and that, that God's presence would literally be physically among us. And oh, by the way, Jesus himself was commissioned as our great high priest at age 30, just like Ezekiel was commissioned as a prophet at age 30. Oh, by the way, Jesus, uh, when he came, he came as our full source of living water. When you look at his life, there's so much Ezekiel language in John all the way through, from John chapter 1 all the way to the end. I love, I love uh, what Jesus does. The first thing he does when he, when he gets on the scene in John, in John chapter 2, if you turn there in verse 19, is he sees God's temple, the rebuilt one, not, not the big one, the rebuilt one, and he sees it, and he goes, this isn't what this is supposed to be. He goes, this isn't right. You're doing things you're not supposed to do here. So he goes into the temple, and he says, it says this in John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. You see, what, it, what was happening was the temple was being defamed again by the very people that were put into captivity 600 years before and who were in captivity right now. And Jesus goes and he cleanses it. He turns the tables over. He throws everything around. And then, he, and then they get upset at him and he goes, hey, you don't understand. I am the temple. I am the temple. I am here to fulfill the prophecy. He is the new temple. He goes on in John chapter 4. If you turn to John chapter 4, we're going to jump around John real quick. John chapter 4, verse 10. He's with a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman who Jews did not talk to. And he says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sound familiar? Living water from Ezekiel 47? If you just knew. He goes on, verse 13, verse 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Again, he's talking about the, the well water. He's saying, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking for the fulfillment in the things of this world, in the resources of this world, you will be thirsty again. You will not be fulfilled. But guess what? What he says, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see what Jesus is telling this person, this, this lady here at, at, this, at this well who's got a very challenging background, who's had probably six or seven marriages and isn't married at this point and is living with her boyfriend, is that the presence of God's going to flow through you and the worship of God is not meant to be in Jerusalem or Samaria. It really doesn't matter what church you go to, what, what denomination you are, what persuasion you are, is that we're meant to worship God. He goes on in John chapter 7, verse 37. He's standing in the temple on the last day of the Feast of Booths, huge celebration, celebrating the fact that the Israelites camped in the wilderness for 40 years before they went into the promised land. He's standing in the temple on the, at the last day of the Feast of Booths, and everyone's listening, and he says this, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You think Ezekiel might have been up in heaven smiling a little bit? 600 years later, the very water that he was talking about was standing in the temple, in the rebuilt temple, 
proclaiming that he would bring rivers of living water, that that big river that we're meant to wade deeper and deeper into was here. It was here. So when, when he writes in, John, in Ezekiel 47, verse 2, behold, the water was trickling out. The water was trickling out. And it slowly, as he keeps going on Ezekiel 47, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But it starts with this little trickle. Can I tell you where that little trickle is completely fulfilled in Christ? Turn your, turn your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 32. I want you to keep that, that idea of that little trickle of water. It says, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came blood. What? See, the trickle, the source of the presence of God, of the miracles of God, of every good and perfect thing that you could ever imagine is the source, is the death and resurrection of our Savior on that cross that freed us from sin, shame, and guilt. At that moment, it says in Matthew 27 that the temple curtain, the veil between the Holy of Holies where God was meant to reside, the temple curtain, which was six feet wide, was torn in two. There was a great earthquake and incredible things were happening at that very time. You see, the presence of God, the very power of God was released at that very moment when the prophecy of Ezekiel was fulfilled on the cross. And the source the presence of God no longer resided in a building. It resided not even in Jesus anymore. It resided now as flowing into the hearts of his people. You see, God often uses the broken situations in our lives to do miracles and advance his kingdom in ways that we just cannot even imagine, understand, or see. It's always his timing not ours. You see, if we could completely understand what God was doing in our lives, he wouldn't be God. But the question for us this morning is, do we believe it? Do we actually believe that he's doing that in our life? Do you actually believe that he's doing that in your life, in your broken situation right now, as you're striving for things right now? Do you actually believe? You see, he promised that he would. He promised that he would send a Holy Spirit, a promised Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. He says in John that we would do greater works than he would ever do by the power of his Holy Spirit, the water of life, the water of living, living life flowing through us. Do you believe you're capable of that? To allow God's presence to flow out of your life. One day it says in Revelation 21, 22 that we will see no temple in the city of God. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. It says in 22.1, he says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's the hope we have, church. We don't have to doubt like Ezekiel. 
He didn't know what was coming. We can look back and point to the cross and say, hey, whatever we face, the challenges in my marriage, the challenge with my son or my daughter, the challenge at my job, the physical ailments that I'm going through, the struggle that I'm, I'm going through with my finances, whatever I am facing, I can point to the cross and know that I have confidence that he is working. Do you think Ezekiel knew, though? Do you think he ever doubted? Laying on his side for 430 days, doing all the crazy things. I bet he had some so don't beat yourself up if you're doubting. You see, we have hope. The presence of God, the living water that leaves us never thirsty again, it is available right now. We don't got to wait. It's available right now. You see, God in your, in your situation is working right now. Let me speak to you this morning. Whatever you are going through this morning, God is working it for your good right now. Even when you don't feel like it. Yesterday, we had a little prayer time, a little time of corporate prayer. I'd encourage you to join us this Saturday at 10 a.m., but I just want to read a couple of these prayer requests. I won't say who they're from. They're very general, but I want you to know that you're not alone in your struggle. I'm there with you. Tim's there with you. Just because we're pastors doesn't mean we don't struggle. Uh, I, this person wrote this. He, they said, I pray for strength and wisdom going forward in life. I really need it. I need clarification with what God is wanting me to do. Anyone there? Come on. Bless that person, Lord. Another person wrote, I need hope for my, in my family. I need God to restore hope in my family. I think we're all there, right? Another person wrote, I mean, I'm not making these things up. These are, these are literally what they wrote. Restore joy in my heart, God. I need you. And then this one says, God, I need a breakthrough in all areas of my life. You see, church, we're meant to bear one of those burdens. We're meant to come together and worship God and testify of who he is. We're meant to point ourselves back to the cross because you will doubt. You will struggle. You will go, leave here today and, this, and the enemy will come and try to steal the deposit of the word that God has put in your heart. And you will need to be encouraged again and again. But when you doubt, when you struggle, you remember the trickle that came from the, the body of Jesus, that it was completed and finished in him. That's your hope. But there's a challenge that comes along with that hope. There's there's a joyous responsibility that we have to live differently. You see, Jesus commanded us and said, he didn't say maybe, he didn't say it could happen, he didn't say if you want it to happen, he says, no, out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. It's going to happen. But we have a part to play. You see, some of us, like John chapter 2, when the temple was cleansed, we need to clean out our heart a little bit. We need to get rid of some things. We need to let some things go. We need to purify ourselves. We need to stop doing some things that we've been doing. Or maybe you're like the woman at the well who was looking for fulfillment in the wrong place. John chapter 4, you're looking for fulfillment in the things of this world instead of in the thing that is going to satisfy you, and that's Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's, it's just a matter, you know all this. You, you're not struggling with any of that. You know, life's good. You're not even going through a lot of stuff. Maybe you're really blessed right now, and that's maybe one of the most dangerous places to be. But maybe you just aren't thirsty anymore. Can I tell you that's the one I struggle with the most? 
Maybe you are not thirsty for the things of God more than the things of man. You know, for me to stand here today, it's kind of a miracle in itself. Can I tell you that I've been on a journey over the last couple of years where I could be every single one of those things. Thirsty for the wrong things, looking for fulfillment in the wrong things, needing my heart to be cleaned out, and I'll probably be there again tomorrow. But I will tell you that as we sang today, I was just so moved that as we sang that God's a good, good father, that he knows exactly what we need. We sing that he makes a way that for me to stand before you today, I don't have the story of Ezekiel. It ain't that bad, okay? But in the last two or three years, especially in the last two or three weeks, it's been hard. Lost my dad on Christmas Day. My wife lost her grandma three months ago. We've been through challenges that we haven't faced before. But God's been using it. And I stand before you today not as someone who's figured it out, as someone who is figuring it out with you, but I stand before you clinging to this truth that he's working, that he's using it for good, that he's refining my heart, that he's creating in me a thirst and a hunger and a desire for more of him that only he can satisfy, that I need to let go of everything that I could possibly put in his place. And that's my prayer for you today. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know if that's you today. I don't know if you need some things cleaned out in your life. I don't know if you're looking for fulfillment in the wrong things. I don't know if you need a new thirst and a new hunger. And I, I, maybe you're just so discouraged that you don't think it's possible that it could happen. I'm going to pray this scripture over you as we close. This is Ezekiel chapter 36. I want you to receive this. Maybe put your hands out, put your hand on a heart, whatever you want to do. But I want you to, I want you to hear this and I want you to receive it. This is what God says to his people. He says, you will sprinkle clean water on us and we will be clean from all our uncleanliness and from all our idols. You will cleanse us and you will give us a new heart and a new spirit you will put within us and you will remove our heart of stone from our flesh and give us a heart of a flesh that is new, and you will put your spirit within us and cause us to walk in your statutes and be careful to obey your rules, and we shall be your people, and you will be our God. Heavenly Father, we're asking for that this morning. We're asking for you to put your spirit within us. We're asking for you to move in our hearts so disproportionately uh, to who we are, but as to what you are, God, we, we pray that you would you would cleanse our hearts from what needs to be cleaned out, God. We pray that you would, would redirect our minds and our thoughts and our vision, God. And we pray that you'd create a thirst in us that cannot be quenched from anything else but you. We need you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.